Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Detroit Lions Breakdown Podcast. I'm Joe Kenya. With me, as always, is Eric Schlitt from PrideofDetroit.com. Eric, football's over. You know, last week, Super Bowl yeah. 57. It's the culmination of the NFL season. Chiefs beat Eagles maybe one day. We'll get to say Lions beat Team X in the Super mm. Bowl and move on to the offseason. So we have no football unless you're an XFL fan. Uh, are you are you an XFL fan, Joe? Well, it's we it's Sunday, and to be honest, I did not watch either of the games yesterday, and okay. it's probably likely that I won't watch today. I mean, maybe it's there's not a lot on right now. Although college basketball is getting to its end of its season, so I don't know. Maybe I didn't get into it. <laughs> well, like you know, I I played XFL fantasy football. You know, oh, really? Two year, yeah, when it came back, you know, two okay. uh, three years ago. And right. that was and too it, much. <laughs> yeah. There's a there's some there's like 25 former Lions. Yeah, ex-Lions. In, Plenty in of the them. XFL. Yeah. Um, now there's no Detroit team though. Like the right. USFL has the Detroit team. The Michigan we, Panthers. Will you be more invested in the USFL? Well, maybe they're gonna be at Ford Field. I kind of want to yeah. go to a game. Are you gonna are you gonna go to the games? Do you get to go sit in your press box seat for the games? You know, I I, I don't know. Um I bet it wouldn't be terribly hard for me to get that though i bet if it would just i just have to fill something out and i i'm pretty sure i'd get approved if i wanted to uh to go to the press box for something like that yeah if, if you're somebody that likes ford field and is not like yeah. Eric that gets a gets the, the opportunity to go to every lions home <laughs> game it's a, a much likely i don't know i can't that i haven't looked at the tickets yet it's probably a much more inexpensive way to go visit oh ford i would field think and so. watch football than okay. a Lions game, so it'd probably be worth going to. Yeah, I I can't imagine it would be more filled out than like you know the the board field practice that they do in training camp, that type of thing. Like where be less than that, right? Yeah, be like six 10, to ten thousand people. That's there. what okay. I was gonna say. Like okay. six okay. to ten. Right. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. It'd be nice, open space. Yeah, yeah, um, branch bring, out, no lines. Yeah, bring kids to it. Yeah, bring yeah, your kids. Yeah. All right. So that that's that's enough of other football. <laughs> Let's get back to Lions football. And today we yeah. got a a, a, a mailbag for the podcast because you know, we're we're in no man's land. When it, no free agency yet, no draft yet. Although you're getting all your draft stuff prepared, we're still a ways away. No combine yeah, yet. No pro days yet. Coming up, right? Coming up quick. I start my uh, I start my combine previews on Monday. So uh, quarterbacks will be on Monday, running backs Tuesday, et cetera, et cetera, leading right up until the televised event, which uh, is going to start. Well, the combine itself starts in uh, the 27th of of February, but the on-field events start March 2nd. Uh, Cool twist this year, defense is first instead of offense. So they put the defensive line and linebackers on the first day, defensive backs on the second day then come saturday in prime time quarterbacks wide receivers tight ends and then they close out with the offensive line and running backs on sunday uh so new format but um that's going to be here before we know it and then you got a week off and then the free agency starts so uh, i think it's a good time for the mailbag we're never short on questions uh so oh which is great yeah although okay first mailbag question is from joe like my question is are you? Oh, there, there has been some chatter about getting rid of the combine. Mm. Would you be pro getting rid of the combine? I don't think so. I, I, I think it. I think it's turned into a, um, a spectacle now, where they spend more time 
doing like the off the cuff stuff as opposed to like just showing like the players, which is really what I care about. Right. Um, but you can really get like an apples to apples comparison. You can really see on the same their, surface um, of the same event. Yeah, like and there's some of these events that they do which are really eye-opening uh you know on, on certain players and like a player that maybe if you just saw them on on film that you might not be like overly impressed by because of like the college they played at or the scheme or or, or whatever it is right but um when you get to see them at, at an event like this it really can like open your eyes uh to like what they're capable of a prime example is um philadelphia eagles nickelback avante maddox i didn't have him really on my radar before the combine but when he did that w drill where they where they um where they run forward and then they they backpedal Backpedal. and they run forward on an angle and then backpedal and run forward on it like that shows like the ability to close hit movement all this stuff like he was dynamic in that and like he you could tell his size profile hit movement all that stuff he was going to be a starting nickel and he was probably gonna be one of the better starting nickels like you could tell from that drill and so that's that's the thing that i really like about it is um you can uncover maybe players you didn't really know as much about and so i i have i like to have fun with it all right first question ariel candle uh, next defensive line coach candidates after Todd Wash signing with Carolina Panthers. Yeah, so uh, Todd Wash joins Deuce Staley in Carolina. Um, also, uh, Sean Jefferson is uh, just became their wide receiver coach, former Lions wide receivers coach, and former Lions wide receiver. Um, so a whole bunch. There's of another lines. one there. Uh, um, yeah. Oh, Jim Caldwell's there as the well. Big right? one. Jim, yep, yeah, coach Jim exactly. Caldwell. Yeah, so they got a whole slew of former Lions coaches over there uh, with under Frank Wright. So, um, you know, they, they got good people. So I I don't uh, like with Deuce, we understood the move. We knew why he was going to be closer to family and, and whatnot with um, with Todd Wash. It's not as clear. I, I think we'll probably find something out because I'm sure Campbell or, or Holmes will be asked uh, the next opportunity, which will be uh Combine week, well, they'll have pressers then. But, um, yeah, we're not really sure why Todd Wash left because he just left for a lateral move. So, the, But there's there's usually a story, and I'm, I'm sure we'll find out. So at this time, Lions don't have a defensive line coach. And the thing is, is it's, it's hard to kind of identify who might be the next one. Um, I went looking through, like, fired defensive coordinators this year, uh, who might like take a D line job, DL coaching, D line coaching job in or before like trying to get back into the DC ranks, kind of like Todd Wash did. Like Wash was a former DC that went to the defensive line. Uh, I looked at other coaches that were defensive line coaches that were fired, um, and then I've tried to look at a few assistant defensive line coaches around the league. But it, it's really hard to project a position coach and and like who might be re- who might fill that replacement. Um, for, for example, like Van Joseph was the Cardinals defensive coordinator. Um, but he has more of a defensive backs background, uh, Phil snow, who was the Cardinals defensive coordinator, former lions, uh, linebacking, uh, coach as well back in, uh, 2008, the, that fun season. Uh, but he also has a back seven background. He doesn't really, hasn't really worked with the front be, uh, before, um, 
Lovey Smith, who was Texans head coach, you know, what but was their DC before that? He's more of a linebackers coach background. Um, essentially, there's not a ton of guys out there. The only ones that really stood out to me were uh Sam Mills the third, who is the son of uh former Hall of Famer, Hall of Sam Famer Mills. Sam Sam Mills, who uh has passed away. Uh so his son, Sam Mills the third was Washington's defensive line coach and was the Panthers' defensive line coach, uh, both under Ron Rivera. Uh, For whatever reason, this season, right before the start of the 2022 season, um, after working with Ron Rivera for multiple years, him and Rivera parted ways over philosophical differences, and he was let go. Um, Most people say, like, that are kind of he was kind of the scapegoat for Washington's regression on the defensive line um but he was a decent line he was a decent coach and he's probably one of the top defensive line coaches like that I'm at least aware of um I don't there's not a whole lot of guys out there I guess is my point um if you're looking at assistant defensive line coaches if you stick with Washington Ryan Kerrigan former uh, Washington edge rusher. He's their assistant defensive line coach. Um, And then if you look at former Lions players that are coaches, Daryl Tapp, uh, who was a former defensive end for the Lions, Mm -hmm. is the San Francisco 49ers assistant defensive line coach under Chris Kasurik, who was, um, again, a former former, uh, Lions defensive line coach as well. So you're not going to get Kasurik back, but – Daryl Tapp is his assistant. Is Daryl Tapp ready? He's only been doing it a couple of years. I don't know. So, but those were kind of the names that like stood out to me because, uh, but I couldn't really find anybody definitive where I was like, oh, this is the guy you want to go get. So I don't have a great answer um, to the question, but those are the names I kind of came across of when I was doing my research a couple of days ago. Question from Daryl from the outside looking in Deuce had a dynamic relationship with Swift from saying that he could be the best to publicly calling out his toughness to the highly visceral on-field coaching. With Deuce gone, does anything change for Swift in Detroit? Uh, you know, something will change with Scotty Montgomery because he's a different coach. Um, the There'll be a different relationship. Um, you know, Deuce is a unique coach. But we'll see what, what how Scotty Montgomery, you know, I don't, I don't know a ton about how he, how he interacts with his players. We know that Montgomery has um, a background as a former wide receiver in the NFL, as a wide receivers coach, quarterbacks coach, running backs coach, a head, former head coach in college. Uh, he's, he's done a lot. So he's, he's familiar with coaches or coaching. He's been coaching multiple players uh, for a long time. So we'll see what happens. Um could it be good for Swift? Maybe not having the pressure that Deuce put on him. Maybe could it could it also be a negative by not having as much pressure? Yeah, certainly. Could Montgomery put even more pressure on him? <laughs> that could happen too, right? So mm-hmm. um, we won't really get answers on that until like end of May, June, when we get to see how they interact uh, during spring camp. But it's certainly we're we're probably going to see some sort of you know changing of relationships there. Jacob Reed asks as Deuce was assistant head coach does him leaving qualify for a compensational pick or does it have to be a coordinator and have to be an upwards move? 
uh, I get a lot of questions like this uh, because it's the, the language is, was a little confusing, but this is essentially how it works. You only get compensation if two parameters are met. One, uh, the coach is elevated to a head coaching job or a person in the front office is elevated to a general manager job. So it only works in those two scenarios. And it, so if it's not a general manager job or it's not a head coaching job, that immediately no comp pick for that. Secondly is they have to have been with the team for two seasons. Okay. So um, when Aaron Glenn uh, a year ago was in the head coaching search, if he would have been hired, the Lions would not have received compensation. But if Aaron Glenn was hired in this cycle, the Lions would have received compensation. Um, so maybe next year, if Glenn gets a job next year, then the Lions would receive compensation then because they'll have met the parameters. But if Aaron Glenn left for another defensive coordinator job, again, no compensation because you have to be a head coach uh, and it has to be, um, you have to be with the organization two years. Detroit Lions fan asks, if the Lions don't win the NFC North in the upcoming season, would you consider that a failure? I'm interested in your take on this because I think they should be the favorites. At the same time, I could see them not winning um, and still making the playoffs. I could see them not winning and still finishing nine and eight. And I don't know if I would consider that a failure in year three of, of this rebuild. But I think it would, I think it would hurt a little bit. I don't know if I would call it, if I would deem it a failure per se. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, no, it would, I, I would agree. It would not be a failure, but you know, like they have to make the playoffs next year. You know, I, I believe next year, the season's a failure if they don't make the playoffs. Now okay. that, that changes if Jared Goff goes out for the season in week three, right. you know, that'll, right. that'll change that consideration. But, you know, also, I mean, I would. What if they? they you're saying if, if they won the division with a nine and eight record, uh, that's I don't. Yeah, it wouldn't be a failure because they won the division. But like, it's not a good sign that they kind of stagnate in year three. Mm -hmm. But there could be a lot of reasons for that. But no, sure. they they do not have to win the NFC North, and and it, it still wouldn't be a failed season. But they must make the playoffs. Okay. Yeah. I think playoffs is going to be the goal. Right. And I think they have, they'll be the favorites for the NFC North. I'm, I'm with you. All right. Craig Gallagher's question. As usual, I have a curse related question for Joe. Not since Aaron <laughs> Rodgers got hurt in the 2013 season, 10 years ago, have the Lions had a genuine and realistic expectations of winning the division, but we all know how that would, would winning the NFC North be enough to break the curse. Well, you know, that answer is no. <laughs> well, the Lions last one, the, uh, they've never won the NFC North, but their last divisional crown was in 1993 when they won the old NFC Central, or as Chris Berman called the Norris right. Division. So then they were still in mid-curse at that point. You know, the curse was only, what was it? What would that be, like 36 years old at that point? So <laughs> they were still in the middle of the curse. They would still be cursed. The only thing that breaks the curse is winning the Super Bowl. Or okay. some sort of crazy event, you know, like because you know the white, the, not the White Sox. Well, the White Sox broke their curse, but the Cubs broke their curse when they won the World right. Series. Red Sox broke their curse when they won. It's it's the mm. same thing. Although one would argue the Red Sox broke their curse when they beat the Yankees in the American League Championship Series, where they even got to the World Series. But I would say mm. winning it all is going to be the key for breaking the curse. All right, all right. I'm, I'm satisfied with that. 
Callie versus Bartoli. Hello, guys. I love your podcast. Well, thank you. When do you think will the quote-unquote win now window be open for the Lions? Which pieces of the puzzle are still missing for a Super Bowl run? I don't think they're at win now for it, probably a couple more seasons. What right? couple more seasons? Yeah, I think like because like to me, win now means I'm willing to sacrifice my future in order to get a couple of big pieces to make a run at it. They're not even making. They're 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 not even. They haven't even made the playoffs yet, right? right? So. Even if you make the playoffs one time or, or two times, I don't think you really turn into a win now team until you're like a piece or two away and then you're willing to, to sacrifice. So I think they're more than a piece or two away. They're like they're several pieces away. So I don't think they're going to be in that win now spot for a couple more. I think they're going to want to win. I think they're going to do everything they can. But like like look at it like this way. The Bengals have been to the conference championship two years in a row. One one time, lost one time, right? Are the Bengals in a win now where they where they should be sacrificing to make the extra push, or should they keep doing what they're doing? Right? Like that's what I'm well, that's, that's, that, that's I'm a thinking. different story that they have Joe okay. Burrow. Okay, well they're they they technically have a window for how old is Burrow? 25, right? Their window's open for at least eight more years in a way. Okay. And okay. I guess like they can go for the win now approach at any time in those next mm-hmm. eight years. And the Lions Lions situation is a little bit different, but it's yeah. it win now. Well, the win now, the window is beginning to open though. It's cracking. Okay, but it's not open. Yeah, I I don't in think two they're... years, maybe one year. Okay, well they if have you're to saying... be aggressive. Okay, so if you're saying in one year they're kind of opening that window, I get that. I'm I'm saying I don't think they're well, they to the point to where be. they need to start. Well, I'm saying I don't need I don't think they're at a point where they're starting they're going to see that window starting to close. I guess that's how I view it. When I think of win now, I view win now as uh-oh, this window's about to close. We have to we have to gamble. And um you saw the Eagles kind of do that, right? Like the Eagles have have forfeited a lot of their future capital in order to make the run that they made. So, um I, you know, I don't think they're at a point where the window is going to be closing. And that's kind of how I view the whole win now thing. What what pieces of the puzzle are missing? Probably be general. A, a lot, a lot, right? Like they need multiple players on defense to be impactful. Um, do we know that Goff is the quarterback for the next X number of years? We know he's quarterback next year. Uh, do we know he's a quarterback beyond that? I think that's still up for debate, right? We'll see how he does this year. But if he wins, if he is the quarterback of the future, whatever you extend him for, that's probably going to be your window, right? Mm-hmm. But if he's not, and you draft a quarterback to replace him, then you have a different length of window, a different set of parameters of windows. So um, you got to make a decision on quarterback, and you got to add a lot of defensive talent and be able to re- retain the offensive talent that you have. And then you're going to get into that, you know, then you're going to get into that, those years where you're really going to be able to make some runs at it. All right. And, but one day we got to watch where we're having the discussion of, Ooh, we have some hard decisions to make on who to retain. And all of a sudden yeah. it's like, there's the windows never opened. <laughs> so, okay. All right. Anyway, no, Jason Krulik, do you believe Goff can be the quarterback who leads the team to a Super Bowl, not someone who was carried like Trent Dilfer. 
Do you believe Goff is the franchise quarterback for this team for the five next five plus years? Would you pay Goff fifty million a year? Okay, so first part: Can Goff lead this team to the Super Bowl? I think he can. Um, I think he he showed that he could. He's in, done it before in, yeah. in, in L.A. Yeah. Um, now, granted, Goff had things around him, but he was still the orchestrator, right? Like having a Todd Gurley made Goff better, right? Um, having a, a good offensive line made Goff better. And we saw this year when Goff has a good offensive line in a running game, like he can he can orchestrate an offense at a very, very high level. Um, so, yes. I think he's he's look Trent Dilfer is 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 nowhere close to Jared what the quarterback that Jared Goff was last year right I mean just mm-hmm. just the quarterback he was last year um, so no he's I don't think he's a he's Trent Dilfer in any ways um, does he need help yeah most mid tier quarterbacks need help like that's part of the equation he's not going to carry a team by himself like we we all know this um, but he he's also not Dilfer like Dilfer was never even mid-tier, right? Like, he just wasn't. Um, Okay, so, yes, I think he can lead it. Is he the franchise quarterback for five-plus years? I don't know. I just said it. I don't know, right? Like, I mean, he's – we know he's quarterback next year. Where is he after that? I think a lot of it depends on where – how he does this year, right? Um, Would I pay him $50 Not right now. I mean – What's the salary cap? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, if the salary cap's three hundred fifty million dollars, well, maybe we pay him fifty million dollars a year. I mean, look, you you don't need to. He's going to make thirty million the next two years, roughly thirty million the next two years. Um, If he's your quarterback at thirty million the next two years, great. And if you decide he's going to be your quarterback longer than that, then it means he's probably done something good, and then maybe he is worth that because that will probably be the going growing price in a couple of years. Can I say that? Can I make, can I say definitively right now? No, absolutely not. Like he needs to show that he can sustain what he did, but if he does sustain what he showed last year, then he, then he, he probably, that's probably what he'll get paid. But uh, I think we're, we're another year at least away, away from, you know, knowing the answers to these questions, those last two questions. I thought when you were talking about Goff needing pieces around him, I thought you were going to say, yeah, Goff can lead a team to the Super Bowl. All he needs is a major no call in a conference championship game. <laughs> right. Or a couple pass interference calls, right? At, right. At, at like a holding call in the, oh man. We didn't even talk about that. Like the, 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 the couple of controversial calls in the, that the chiefs got, but which maybe well maybe we can I don't know if we have time at the end maybe we'll we'll revisit that, um, just because yeah well all right well, let's see let's see where we're at. Drew Stitcher asks, "What are your thoughts on Sewell playing tight end on a few packages, on a run slash pass downs? Draft an offensive tackle to play offensive guard in normal formations. Kick him out to offensive tackle during the Sewell tight end packages. This is all if Campbell was serious about Sewell's uh, Sewell's ability to play tight end." Turn the NFL on its head! Exclamation point. Well, I, look, I, I I do think they could. They're going to have packages that include him as a tight end. They've I I think they've said as much. If they haven't, it's been uh they have behind the scenes. Then, um, I, so he's going to have tight end packages moving forward, but it's only going to be like sporadic, right? right. It's something that's how that, it'll be most effective if it's sporadic. Yeah. You don't need um, 
you're not going to need to draft like a starting level offensive tackle uh, to be able to play tackle in those situations when Sewell kicks out. You just need a third tackle that, you know, is, you know, capable, right? Ideally someone better than Dan Skipper and Matt Nelson. Like that's ideally what you're looking for is a capable third offensive tackle, but you should have that anyways. We talk about that all the time, right? Like having that third tackle is, is a major uh, need for an offensive line. So um, yeah, if you have a third tackle, you can count on and a third tackle that you're going to use in like certain situations, like when you off, when you want to have a big offensive line and then you just kick him into right guard and shift Sewell to tackle and flip them when, you know, it'll be easier to disguise that way. Uh, if you start talking about bringing a guy on to play guard, to move the guard out the tackle, it's going to be a lot more obvious what you're doing. Um, so I think you need to be able to use a, a tackle that you would normally be using in big sets anyways, and then you just have them kind of swap positions in order to disguise. So um, I think that's how they're going to do it, and they'll have a couple packages set up. They'll, they'll use it in some games where it will – um, he won't get the ball to set up a game later down the road where he will get the ball, right? But right, um, yeah. All right. Next question from Andrew: Where do you think Belafonte was at? I thought he was looking really good at as a corner. He shut down Devontae, I think, before getting injured. Then we turned him into a safety because we thought he had we had plenty of depth at corner, corner, and no safeties. But now cornerback is the biggest hole on the roster. <laughs> I, I think what happened was um, one of the traits that they best like about Malafonu was his ability to play off coverage. Um, he showed that at Syracuse and he was, he was really good at it. And then when they asked him to play more press as a corner, uh, it was a little harder for him. Uh, the off coverage skills were still there. And so when they looked at that, they said, boy, I don't know if he can, be like a starting corner in our lead in our system but his off coverage skills make him very uh flexible as, as like a safety and maybe we can move him around so the way that they introduce their safeties excuse me the way that they introduce their safeties is they start by playing them at single high uh it gives them the most space to see things it allows them to uncover the whole field and then once they get comfortable at single high, then they start branching them out to the other safety spot. And then they start branching them out into uh, slot coverage and, and box coverage and stuff like that. And so Malafonu started out at like single high and, and then that's when he kind of got hurt. Right. And so when we saw him this year, we only saw him at like those single high type sets, a little bit of branched out uh, in some, some slot stuff. But mostly, he's still getting introduced to the safety role. Uh, he's That's going to expand. And I think ideally, he's going to develop into their safety three, where they can go in with like um, confidence that like he will be the guy that they can use as like a matchup piece. But at this time, he's just not there yet. So... Um, off coverage is his best asset, which translates better to save to how they use their safeties. That's why they made that move. I don't see him switching back because I know uh, people have asked that. Um, if they if they were going to switch him back, they would have done that last year, in my opinion. But um, let him get healthy, let him get some more experience, 
And I think they'll have a better understanding of where he is. Um, maybe by the end of spring, maybe uh, better, more likely by the end of training camp. Make or break. Is it a make or break year in 2023 for Melifonbu? I mean, he's going to have two more years under his contract. So not quite make or break, but he's need, he needs to make steps because if he's part of their plans, he's going to need to be a reliable safety four at a minimum with safety three aspirations. Westside Lions asks, do you think it would be a realistic possibility for the Lions to trade for a big name corner such as Jalen Ramsey? than draft one still, even with the first round picks. I, okay. So let me, let me back up for a second and say that I do think the combination of adding a veteran quarter and drafting a high, a high corner, those are both realistic possibilities. Okay. Um, Trading for a corner is a little bit harder because one, you've got to get, um, you've got to be able to give up capital in order to acquire them. I think they'd be more likely to try and sign a free agent as opposed to trading for one. Ramsey's the popular one because he has a high cap hit, and there's rumors that they, uh, the Rams might be interested in, in, in shipping him out. The difficult and the Amon Ross St. Brown stuff. <laughs> the difficult part is that he still has like 20 almost 20 million left in guarantees so if the rams were to trade him because he has a 25 million dollar cap they'd have to eat nine you know 19.6 million in guarantees that's a big that's a big ask um again now they would free up over 5 million but and that's something they may need to do but one, it's a big dead cap situation for the Rams, so he might not, he might not even be on the trade block for that. Um, I don't mean, who knows. We'll see, right? But would the Lions be willing? How much would his capital be? I think it would be awfully high. And then would they be willing to try and make that compensation? I don't know. And then you got to pay him, which was going to, which is going to eat up a big chunk of your cap. So that's going to take a, that's going to take some away as well, right? So it's trading is trading is hard. Right. And I think trading for Ramsey is, is, is really going to be hard because, okay. Cause even if they acquired him, he has a $17 million base salary. Okay. It, even with all the guarantees left for the Rams to pick up, the lions would still have to pay him $17 million uh, in order for him to play for the Lions this season. It goes down to 14 and a half and then 15 and a half. So you'd have him for three years, but it's still a lot of money and you got to give up a lot of capital to go get him. So I'm hesitant to say that they would do it because it's not a great situation for the Rams. It's a, probably more than the Lions want to pay, especially for, um, especially, you know, considering where they are cap wise, I don't think they'd want to invest like, almost all of it in, 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 into one guy because the way they're building, you know, the, I don't think, again, like we talked about with the win now section, I just don't think they're at that point where they need to start sacrificing future for a player, even though he's a, you know, a talented player and you can put aside culture fits and all that. Just, just assuming that all that, all that works out financially. I don't know if it would be worth it for them at this stage of their rebuild. Free agency questions. First one, 
from Jacob Reed. Where do you expect the Lions to spend most heavily in free agency? So that's the crazy thing, right? It's it's I, I'm talking about how much it costs for Ramsey, but I could see them still spending at corner. But I think they would spend at a corner that's younger um, or a corner that has, um, you know, or it doesn't have as high of a price tag, I guess. Right. Like, so younger is going to be beneficial. Lower price tag is going to be beneficial. So if they, if they're not, if they don't care about the age so much, a guy like uh, Chauncey Garner Johnson, like he's a guy who I think is a perfect fit for what the lions are looking for in the slot. He has history with, with, um, with Aaron Glenn. And so a guy like Gardner Johnson is, isn't going to cost as much as Jalen Ramsey. Uh, he, but he's probably, he's, I think he's about the same age. Um, but you're not going to, it's the price tag isn't going to be there. You're not, and you're not going to have to give up capital in order to acquire him. So I think that route might be more beneficial. So like, let's say they, uh, they sign Gardner Johnson draft an outside corner. I think they'd be happy with that. At the same time, I could see them taking a guy like uh, Jamil Dean, who's younger, spending a little bit more money on him than they would on Gardner Johnson, and then drafting uh, like a slot guy early that can play that can take that route. It just it depends on on what they like in the draft, and and you know, but they could do either of those approaches, and I could I could see both of them working. So. Corner could be a spot where they spend a higher amount than they do at other positions. They could also spend it like defensive tackle. Uh, that could be another surprise area. But outside of those two spots, I really don't see them spending a lot of money. Maybe a linebacker. There's like five really, really good linebackers out there. But I don't know if I'm convinced that they're willing to give like 10 plus million dollars to, to a Mike. Um if they do, they'd be that'd be. I mean, it'd be phenomenal for the defense. I just I see them investing more at like corner or DL as opposed to as opposed to line linebacker. But um, I, I I can't rule it out. I guess. Rob Badge Dowerly and MTU Noodle ninety six ask similar questions. If you had to pick one or two big free agency signings, who would they be? I, I still think Gardner Johnson makes the most sense, right? Um, like I, like I just mentioned, Dean is a guy who I think is also going to be on their radar because he's got uh, he's young and he and he's he's a he has a higher ceiling that can be developed still. So you're willing to overpay for him a little bit. Um, but if it's not one of those two guys, I think Deron Payne is the guy that everyone talks about. the The issue with Deron is that he's going to cost like eighteen to twenty million dollars. And that's just massive. That's a massive amount. Um, so would they be willing to pay for him? Maybe. But would they maybe look at a guy like Dalvin Tomlinson or Javon Hargrave that are going to cost half that, like maybe $10 million for those two guys? One of those two, you know, like would they be – They maybe that's the angle that they go. So I still think if they're going to pay, it's going to be at tackle or safety. Um I mentioned five linebackers. I'll just name them right now just so uh, they're out there. But like Levante David from Tampa Bay, TJ Edwards from Philly, Tremaine Edmonds from Buffalo, Tremaine Pratt from Cincy, and then uh, David Long from uh, Tennessee. All right. 
Mike K, ask a question right on the nose. Would you go after David Long Jr. in free agency? Uh, so Long Long is a bit of a, a late riser. Um, Edmonds is kind of the same way where they've only been a starter for like one year. Uh, but, and they're undersized. Like uh, Long is like on a tick under six foot. He's only like 225 pounds. Uh, but he played the mic for Tennessee, uh, played well. His run defense is really the thing that 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 separates him. If they're prioritizing the run, which they typically do, he had one of the best run defensive grades uh, from PFF uh, amongst the free agency class. So um, he's he all these those top five guys that I just named. They're all guys that can do some pass coverage, that can stop the run, that can also like pass rush like they can all kind of do a little bit of it some of them are better in one area than another uh but i think long's very much in that group uh and the only thing with him is he's probably gonna be a little bit cheaper because he only has uh that one year starting experience and he's and he's undersized uh like a guy like tremaine edmonds is going to cost a lot more because he's younger bigger been a starter for four years like that's gonna Edmonds is gonna get paid um Edwards is a rising star like that Pratt maybe not as much uh but I think Long is you can probably of those five he might I don't know if he'll be the cheapest but he'll be he's not going to be the the most expensive that's for sure Corey asks under Holmes Lions sign quote-unquote prove it players to fill holes in the draft seems more like best fit player available mm-hmm. who are the best prove it players at defensive tackle linebacker corner safety and guard <laughs> starting with defensive tackle uh i think the the if you connect the dots the guy that kind of makes the most sense is sheldon rankins um played with um played in new orleans under with glenn when glenn was coaching their secondary uh he had a couple of really bad years because of injury went to the jets played well with the jets um, he's a guy who, if they're looking to add a three technique and move and keep, you know, move a lean to the nose, he could be a guy they could take a flyer on. Won't be terribly expensive. He did have a really good year. So, uh, which was with the jets, which really was kind of his prove it year, but this, you know, maybe, maybe he needs a second one before he gets anything long-term because he did have those couple of years that were tough in, in new Orleans, uh, linebacker, um, I don't know if I have a really good linebacker because it's a good linebacker class. A guy like Drew Tranquil doesn't get enough love because again, he's, he's only been starting a couple of years, uh, like maybe one year, maybe two. I can, I'm trying to recall um, undersized again, kind of like David long. Um, but I have a feeling he's probably going to get more of a multi-year. I don't, so I, I don't know if I have a good, maybe Rashawn Evans former Mike for Tennessee that moved to Atlanta last year. I feel like he only got a one-year deal. So maybe, maybe he'd be that guy. I liked him a lot when he was coming out Uh, at corner. uh, That's a tougher call. Sean Murphy bunting, maybe like he's a guy played at central inside out leverage, bit of a uh, down couple of years. Um, play better this year opposite Dean uh, in, in Tampa. But um, he's a guy, I think, with some Michigan ties that could make some sense. Uh, at safety, I don't know if I have a good safety. P.J. Williams is a guy that um, 
that uh, Aaron Glenn used to like a lot because he can play safety, he can play nickel, but he only gets one year deals on on like a uh, he, he's so maybe that's a pr- considered a prove it guy. Uh, and then I don't know if I have a guard. Let me look at my list real fast just to see, but um, I don't know. I feel like Will Hernandez is constantly in a prove it deal. <laughs> um, is Justin Pugh in a prove it deal now? I mean, I don't know. That Arizona line was not great. So I hate to pick, look at those Arizona guys, but um, I don't know. I'd have to look a little deeper at, at the, at the guard list to see if there is somebody that, that stands out. Uh, those are the two guys that kind of jump out at me right off the bat though. All right. Moving on to draft questions. First one's from Carson Hero. I have a legitimate question. This isn't hate. Why <laughs> mock drafts? All right. There, he had more to say in that question. I just kept focused on this part because I wanted to focus on um, why people, I guess, are so in love with mock drafts. Um, or, or why do we pay attention to mock drafts even? Uh, Hopefully you get into a history lesson here. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not so much history. It's, it's just, it's more about like you, you, you utilize mock drafts as like educational tools, right? You try not to put too much weight in them. You try not to take them too seriously. Uh, every time you put one out, people are always getting mad. So like you under, I mean, like no, everybody hates everyone's mock draft. That's always just kind of the way it is. Um, but if you use it as a way of, familiarizing yourself with players and use it like an educational tool. I think that's, that's an an important way to look at it, right? Like when you go into any draft class, there are as many as 500 different players that are going to be out there that are going to be, you know, potentially draftable, right? Um, 200, half of those guys will get drafted. The other half of those guys are going to end up in camps in some capacity. So there's like 500 guys trying to get into the league every single year to try and educate yourself on all 500 guys would be a, a, a act of tediousy. Like you would just get but bored. It, but you can now. You can, you can. Compared you to the early can. days of the mock draft. That's why I thought you'd get into the history lesson. Well, um, so, but, uh, well, we can go back to that in a second if you want. Um, but essentially like if you were to just study, that would you know, you can learn about all those guys. Absolutely. But mock drafts are, um, are are like a more entertaining way of trying to get that message across, looking at who people think are might fit with different systems or with different teams. Um, you know, if, if you read a mock draft and you read the same player over and over, then maybe you look at why, or maybe you just ignore it and look at like something, you know, a, a different guy or players around him because you're looking at different value. Um I kind of uh, equate it to if I'm trying to teach my two-year-old the alphabet and I just put a letter in front of her and I just put the letters and I just say, that's the letter A, they're not going to get, she's not, it's, she's going to get bored with me by the time we get through all 26 letters. But if we sing it, then she'll sing it with me and it's easier for her to learn. Well, that's essentially like what mock drafts are. It's a more entertaining way to try and familiarize yourself with the draft class. All right, but go back to what you were going to say. No, you, no, you nailed it right there. It's originally though, you know, mock drafts exist like it helped generate interest in the draft. And on top of it, back in that time, the early mock draft time, 
Mm-hmm. We couldn't watch every college football game every weekend. And you couldn't yeah. go on YouTube and watch video on yeah. every player that's going to be in the draft that year, you know, throughout the week or whenever you had spare time or whatever. So the mock draft was out there because you just get acquainted with, hey, these guys are the guys that are going to go in the first round because we would have no clue. You know, you'd have right. an idea from reading Sports Illustrated or the Sporting News or that USA Today thing, but, you know, we couldn't go on the internet and find stuff out, you know, and you could only watch so many regional or nationally televised college football games at that time. You know, most games weren't on TV. So, you know, now, yeah, now they're, I don't know why people, people get upset because they like to get upset and that's what the internet's kind of for. But you're right. It's, uh, it's 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 all it is. It's just this this tool, you know. Like, hey, you're you're the guys here. Here, I think is where they're going to go. And you know, nobody's ever going to be right. Nobody's ever going to be close to being right. And if they right. are, we got to find out where their time machine is, or they just got real <laughs> lucky that year. You know, this is all it is. Right. But yeah, there's too many mock drafts now. Everybody having their mock draft. You know, what's the point? Back then, they there was you'd see a couple of them. And mm-hmm. it would be like, oh, this is what USA Today thinks, what CBS Sports thinks. This is what Mel Kuyper thinks. And well, now you know who these guys are. Now you know who the handful of the guys at the top are going to be. And that was probably good enough. Like, we didn't know anything about Luther Ellis. Luther Ellis was a first-round draft pick in the Lions. Right. They're thinking 93. Like, we never saw a Utah game. You know, we didn't know right. anything about Luther Ellis. We just thought, oh, he's 6'4", 310 pounds. And it took us until training camp when he's like, he sprints against Barry Sanders every day and he's almost beaten him, you know, <laughs> and that was it. Like, that's all we knew about Luther Ellis. Now we, we would have seen every one of Luther Ellis's games, you know, we'd be watching them on YouTube and right. we would you know, see an endless video. Of it's like um, uh, back when Rayola was, uh, or back when, um, when Jeff Backus was drafted. Right. Like everyone knew Jeff Backus because he played left tackle for Michigan. He was the yeah, local. So he team. saw every one of his games. Right. And then, but then Rayola, was it Rayola that was picked? Say the same the second year. One? The second yeah. round. But and he Sean played, Rogers in the third, right? Right. And then, so he played center for Nebraska. Like we didn't know as when much they were about in him. the Big 12, right. not in so, the Big 10. Right. So we we didn't, we didn't see him on a regular basis. We didn't know a whole lot about him. And then, look, he played for a decade for the team. You know what I mean? So. Well, and you also made a good point about Dominic Rayola. Not only didn't we see a ton of Nebraska games when he was playing at Nebraska, now we know everything about his son who was trying <laughs> to pick a college right. football team. To, that's you know that's how far we've come. Where yeah, we know everything crazy. about his kid. It's just a high school quarterback. So anyhow, crazy. All lions go to heaven. Besides wide receiver and offensive tackle, are there any position groups in this year's draft that is worse than last year's? How does that 2023 draft class compare to 2022? Um, you you have a little bit more star power at the top, uh, which is of this class as opposed to last year. And so that is going to help drive things. Um, you have multiple quarterbacks uh, in this class when you had, you know, almost none last year. And so, it's a big difference in that aspect. The quarterbacks really drive it. Uh, the defensive talent at the top is a little bit better. Um, so, but like, it's it's the way college is. You're going to have close to. You're going to have similar type drafts classes from from now uh, from now on. Like the the bigger defensive tackles 
are going to be harder to find because colleges are going smaller on the on the defensive line. You're always going to be deep in edge because there's always that's again the college format is prioritizing edge guys over uh big bodies in the middle. Your off the ball linebackers are always going to be hard to find now in the NFL because they're all 225 pounds for the most part, right? Because mm -hmm. that's what you need. You need that athleticism. Uh, corners will fluctuate a little bit. This is a deep corner class. Um, you've got, I mean, I think it's deeper at, again. And in, in the top 100, there's probably more corners than there were last year. Um, and I think safety is a little bit lighter, but what you end up seeing at safety is more guys like um, that are hybrid players. But again, I think that's, that's the way colleges are going. So running back's going to be deep because that's always the way it is. You're always going to go deeper at, at receiver, even though it's not as high at the top. Um, tight end is much deeper than it was last year. And offensive line is maybe a little less uh, overall that, than the year uh, prior. So not a ton of big discrepancies. But there are some minor differences, but that's this is this is kind of how it is. This is this is how it's going to be because of how the colleges just spread everything out and just want athletes. And that's why you're seeing in this corner class, you've at the top, the top corners in this class are six foot, six two, six two, six two, six two, six foot, six foot. You know what I mean? Like all the, and then there's one guy that's under six foot that might go in the first two rounds, right? Every mm -hmm. other than that, they're all six foot to six two. Like that wasn't how it was five years ago, ten years ago. Like there was right. there was a boatload of five ten corners. Right now, all these athletes that are big, they're going to corner as opposed to wide receiver because they get on the field and and you're seeing a lot higher level of athleticism at corner because that's what's needed. Right. The Michigan state example of Justin Lane a few years back. Anyway, sure. Keen observations. How much weight do you think Holmes will put into Aaron Glenn's type of guys in the draft since he's likely gone after next season? Interesting question. For instance, Witherspoon over Gonzalez, take the better athlete versus the guy that fits the current culture. Yeah. I, I think the culture part, goes beyond Aaron Glenn, right? Um, I think when you start looking at culture, you're looking at Glenn, but you're also looking at Campbell because if Aaron Glenn departs, that culture is still going to be there. That that ide ideology of needing to be physical is still going to be present. Um, they're go there will be small little nuance changes and scheme if once Aaron Glenn leaves and and even Aaron Glenn will probably change his scheme as he's needed, uh, as needed. We've seen that happen before as well. So um, I think the culture though, if you're, if you're trying to define players, I think that goes beyond Aaron Glenn. Um, at the same time, I think they're, they are going to try and draft players that fit what they're looking for. But I think Brad Holmes's vision is always towards the future right i want to get a guy that aaron glenn likes at the same time i also want a guy that i think is going to be around five years regardless christian gonzalez has got is this big time athlete but he's not as physical will that guy fit even if it with, with glenn and then will he fit if, if glenn's not around 
Whereas a guy like Devin Witherspoon, who's extremely physical, he's probably going to play on Dan Campbell's team no matter what, right? And so that's um, why on my board I have Witherspoon a little bit higher. At the same time, I would I can understand Brad Holmes's appeal to look at uh, look at the athlete in Gonzalez. So there's an interline debate here, but I I still think Holmes and and Campbell are tied to the hip so much. If you're talking culture. He's going to look at like what's going to fit with with Dan as opposed to what's going to fit with uh, Aaron. Dave Adams has chances that four of the five top five picks are quarterbacks, allowing Jalen Carter or Will Anderson to be available at six. I do like his thought line of thought. Probably not going to happen. Yeah, well, yeah, you're hoping you're hoping that at least three quarterbacks go because then you can be like, well, maybe a tackle will go as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if that happens, I think it's slim. So let me put it this way. It's slim, Dave, but it's not. It's not I'm not none. ruling it out. Yeah, it's yeah. not none. It could happen. So you're telling me there's a chance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a chance. I'm not betting on it, but there's a chance. Mm-hmm. All right. Benjamin Curtis asks, we have seen and heard about Holmes being aggressive in the trade-up territory if he sees somebody he wants. Is that Jalen Carter this year, and is he worth it? What draft capital would it take? I don't know if I see him trading up from six to get Jalen Carter um, because he's still going to be in that blue-chip range. Um, I've had people ask me if you only had to give up the Vic- the, the compensation you got from the Vikings in the TJ Hawkinson trade. So if you only had to give up a second round pick and then a next year's third round pick, would you do that to move up to Carter? And yes, I would do that if that was the compensation. The problem is, is I think it's going to cost more to move up to like three. I don't think Mm -hmm. it's just going to cost a second and a third. I think it would be like a first. And I wouldn't do that for Jalen Carter. Uh, Would I trade a second and a third? Probably. A third next year? Yeah, probably. A first that's too rich. That's a bit too rich for me um, because you're still in that blue chip range. I don't like the idea of moving up from one blue chip to another blue chip and giving up a first, right? That's just too, it's just too much for me. Too, yeah, um, when potentially the player you end up drafting at six is better than you know, Jalen could, Carter. We don't know. You know, nobody yeah. knows. This right. So um, I don't see them trading up from six. Um, could they trade up from 18? I think that's very much on the table because we saw them trade up from 32, right? Mm-hmm, so right. I do think trading up from 18 is on the is on the table. I could also see him trading back uh, from either spot because um, trading back is not something we've seen him do, but he's in a much better spot where if they're not going to take their quarterback this year, if they could trade back and get more capital to have for next year, when they might need to take a quarterback, we don't know. I think that would be good business for Brad Holmes. All right, so we, all right, so David, he come, it's it's kind of the same thing. There's been talk about the Lions trading up, presumably with the Cardinals three for Jalen Carter. What happens if Chicago trades back, and both Will Anderson and Jalen are there? Will the Lions take Will over Jalen if given the choice? So if both of them are available, I still think that they would take Jalen Carter. Um, it's a bigger need. You wouldn't have to change much of your defense. And I think he is 
a player that would fit exactly for what they're looking for. So if those two guys are on the table and you are in a spot where you could draft either, my guess is that they would go with Jalen Carter. Elvin Webster with the lions being in a prime spot to trade down with quarterback needy teams right behind them, racing for the number three QB. What kind of return are you thinking Holmes is going for slash realistic? Well, it depends on how far he goes back, right? Um, as we just talked about, if he is looking towards the future and he think, would he be willing to trade out of the blue chip range? I think he would only if he was getting something really high, like a first next year, like for him to go from six to like, I don't know. Four, let me look at, let me, let me take, just take a quick glance. I, I don't know why I had the jets in my head. So like, let's say the jets at 13 want to trade up for uh, a quarterback. It would cost the Jets their first to move up, to move all the way back to 13. I'm going to want a first, right? But if it's like Carolina at nine, it's you're probably not going to get a first in that scenario, right? You're probably getting a couple of day two picks, right? Day two pick this year, day two pick next year, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Uh, with If the Lions were to move up, what it would cost mm-hmm. them? be something similar i would think so it really depends how far back you're going um and if you fall out of that kind of blue chip range to determine how much capital you would get i think he'd be willing to go back to get a first because having two firsts this year and then acquiring another first next year to go along with your other first next year like to have two firsts next year that would be a very handy for him especially when he doesn't have a decision made at quarterback so yeah i could see them uh i could see him going back if the cat if the price is right mr brooker 911 does drafting a quarterback in the first round no matter which one set the team back in what round or place would it not be a distraction if golf were to a slow off to a slow start so if they took a quarterback in the first round would it set the team back I, he's basically he's saying because there's a learning curve for a rookie quarterback and that rookie quarterback might start uh and then you're not getting you're not getting another talented player elsewhere yeah, somewhere else on the field yeah um i don't know if it would set the team back if the rookie started it might set them back right because um there's gonna be a learning curve um but I don't know how detrimental it would be losing uh, another player. It might be a little bit. Um, so yeah, I do think drafting a quarterback might be a tick of a setback for what they what they could be if they don't go quarterback. But again, that's the dilemma that Brad Holmes weighs. If he doesn't think Jared Goff's part of the future, he doesn't know when he's going to be in a spot where he can pick a, a premier quarterback again, and maybe he thinks he needs to do it this year. Um, so maybe he's willing to take a minor setback for with a long-term vision. Uh, so maybe a minor setback, and uh, which is, you know, I don't think he necessarily wants to do that, which is why I don't think he takes a quarterback in the first round this year. Uh, but what round could you take a quarterback in where it wouldn't, you know, have the fans clamoring for that quarterback if golf goes off to a slow start? I think it'd have to be a day three guy, right? I don't. I think right. if you took a quarterback in the top hundred, and if golf struggled, I think Lions fans would immediately be calling for 
for the next guy in unless it's a day three guy. So that that would that's my assumption. Jason Wolverton asks, why don't more people talk about one of the main reasons I don't think they take a quarterback in the first round? Culture. You take a quarterback there and the divide it creates knowing that guy is the anointed guy and Goff is leaving. That would really mess up their vibe. Yeah, it could. It could absolutely, which is another factor. Um, but again, you have to look, you have to understand that Holmes's job is to see what's going to happen, not just this year, but two years from now, right? Three years from now. And so he has to make decisions with that in mind. And then it's Dan Campbell's job to keep that locker room from getting divided, right? So obviously Holmes and Campbell are going to work in unison, but they would make that decision together, right? They would say, hey, hey, Dan, I think I, I, I got to take this quarterback because I don't think Goff's the man. And Dan's going to be like, okay, I, this, the, I need to get ahead of the game and, and prepared for that. So um, I don't think culture would necessarily preclude them from taking a guy if they're really sold on it. But I do absolutely understand Jason's concern because it does create a divided locker room with guys picking sides on a young guy or the veteran. Right. So um it could potentially create a problem, but it's up to Dan Campbell. It would be Dan Campbell's job to, to keep it from becoming a distraction. And Tago asks, do we trust Brad Holmes to find a quarterback in the middle rounds who can exceed expectations? Well, the, the, we've never really had to, right? Like uh, even when he was uh, advising uh, the Rams, advising Les Snead. Les Snead never really took a quarterback outside of Jared Goff, right? And so we've never really seen what he did. And then he has never taken one in Detroit uh, himself. So we just don't know. Uh, It's crazy that as a college scouting director and now general manager over his time uh, that they've never really taken a quarterback that's that's beyond uh, beyond Jared Goff. Now I, I'm going to double check just to make sure. Um, so just just so I'm on, just so I'm a hundred percent sure. Uh, but I am almost positive. Oh no, they took a they took one in the sixth round. Okay, John so they've, Wofford, they've done it. Uh, Garrett it? Gil Garrett Gilbert. Garrett uh, Gilbert. Oh, from Texas. Right? Uh, Southern Methodist, yeah, in Texas, right? Oh, okay, um, it was a transfer. Yeah, SMU. Um, and so, yeah, but mostly Jared Goff is the uh, is the pinnacle, right? We know Jared and Goff and round one, and that's pick it. one, yeah. round one, pick one, and that's it. So there's not a lot. And again, we don't know if that was Brad Holmes or or you know that Les Snead obviously well, made that decision, but Brad Holmes was setting the table for him potentially being a sixth rounder. So I don't know. It's uh, we don't have anything to base it on. So, do I? The trust only Brad thing Holmes? we got is that he's he's done a pretty good job drafting here in these first two years. Yep. So he, he seems to have a decent eye for talent everywhere. So maybe he does a quarterback too. We don't know. We'll find yep. out. You just got to trust him, I guess. Easy fella. <laughs> Double J six thirty two asks Stetson Bennett to the Lions via late round pick for backup quarterback thoughts. I, I don't. I don't know 
what Stetson Bennett wants to do with his career in football, right? Um, He's very obviously not going to be a starter in the NFL. Uh, He doesn't have that talent, in my opinion. Um, Stetson Bennett disagrees with you. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. And he has the confidence to to say that. I'm sure, you know, he's under six feet. He's under 200 pounds. Everybody's Uh, counted about his whole life. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, well, it was a walk on right at Georgia, but when you are a player that is on the fringe of being draftable, you should take every opportunity to make yourself draftable. And he had an opportunity to go to the senior bowl. He had an opportunity to go to the East West shrine game and he turned them both down and he was like, nah, I'm good. Well, hammered instead. Are you invested? Dallas. (laughs) Right. And then got, uh, then got arrested. Um, so if you're an NFL team, and this is a kid who's saying, I'm uber competitive, they're going to say, well, why didn't you show us in the All-Star game? And then they're going to say, I guess going out with your friends and getting hammered and arrested is more important than proving that you belong. And that's, how's he going to answer that? You know what I mean? Like, so that's good. I mean, look, he did himself no favors by that with that sequence of events happening so i don't think the lions are going to have any interest in him uh he doesn't fit what they do uh and yes he kind of has the mentality but there's a lot of other guys on this uh in this draft class at quarterback that that have that mentality on on day three and uh i don't know it just i don't see the fit personally um, I get it. He's got a lot of swagger. He's deserved it. You know, he's been quarterback on the national championship team, but teams want competitors and he elected not to be a competitor and to go get drunk instead. And so, and then arrested. So I don't know how, how do you explain that to Dan Campbell? You know what I mean? Like uh, young know. people get arrested all the time. Maybe Dan Campbell was arrested in college. We don't even know. About it. Yeah, but Dan it was Campbell, a different time. But Dan Campbell never would have turned out an all-star game. You know what I mean? Like, well, like that's he, not, that that would not be Dan Campbell style. Right. And 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 it's when you have a cast of former players as coaches, they're all gonna wonder if you're not like they preach competitiveness. And if he goes to the combine and doesn't throw at the combine, yeah, you can. He might not get drafted at all. Yeah, he'll be an interesting fellow, Stetson Bennett. He got he got every last ounce that he could out of his ability in his lifetime up to this point. Um, he won two national championships because he played well, but more importantly, because his team was better than everybody else's team. You know, they had depth yeah. all over the place. So you know, he was he was a Trent Delfer esque type guy, but. Outside of not showing up to postseason All Star games, like he's probably as competitive as they get because they he ascended to the top of the Georgia quarterback depth chart. So sure, I don't know. Yeah, I don't see the Lions taking him, but he'll he, he's got an interesting future one way or the other. It seems. All right, Michael H. Parsons, his question: Who is your favorite offensive player for the Lions to draft, and why is it B. John Robinson? <laughs> <laughs> no need to make reference to Billy Sims, Doak Walker, number 20. Although by reading the question, I just did. I like if, if I had to pick an offensive skill player, it would be B. John Robinson. 
liked him for a long time. Yeah, he's he's. You have to take quarterback and put the quarterback in their own class, but uh, then if you take the quarterbacks out of the out of the equation, Robinson is the best offensive player in this in this class. Um, if you follow my articles, uh, I just wrote a big one on Bijan Robinson yesterday uh, in my mock draft roundups. Uh, talked about the fact that uh, he's highly regarded as, as a top five player in this class by most of the top anal- draft analysts. Uh, yet the position has been so devalued that we haven't seen a running back taken in the last four years before the 24th pick in the first round. Uh, that's because the position's that devalued. So where we're at right now is we're at a position where the league doesn't value taking Saquon Barkley at two anymore. Uh, they value taking them at 24. Yet, Bijan Robinson is the best running back since Saquon Barkley and maybe even before Saquon Barkley. And so where is his value actually going to end up? And if it ends up at 18 and the Lions take him, you can argue positional value, and I would understand that at the same time. You just got an incredibly elusive, all-purpose, do-it-all back at 18, which is you would have had to pay number two overall five years ago to get him. And now you're getting them at a discount. And if you can put your position of value uh, discrepancies aside or complaints aside, then um, you look at the fact that he's going to, he would make this team a heck of a lot better and would be able to elevate the team even further. So, yeah, I think Robinson is my, my favorite offensive player. Um I got a handful of other offensive players that I like, but if you're talking about the best guy, it's it, it is absolutely uh uh Bijan Robinson. I agree with uh Michael. Daryl's question, seeing more mocks linking us to Bijan, what could our offense look like with them? Currently fifth by DVOA from Football Outsiders. Offense looked most potent with Swift healthy. Any uh, day three running backs or free agents that you like that can provide a backup or provide Swift like impact. Love your work. Okay, so what would they look like? Do you remember what the offense looked like against Philly in week one? Mm-hmm. They'd look like it looked like that, but with a better passing offense because now you're also going to add the the chemistry and the back half of what was working uh in the in the air. So they were competitive with Philly because of their swift being so dynamic on the run game. That's what you would have every week, right? So you would have an offense that would be competitive with the likes of the Chiefs and the Eagles and they would be in every single game that they play. They're going to be in that game. And then it would just come down to can the defense be average and and make it so the defense doesn't lose games and just let the offense outscore. So they would maintain that top five, in my opinion, uh, DVOA type deep, uh, offense. And they would have that week one DeAndre Swift potential every week. That's, that's what the offense could turn to. So, um, is there someone that could give you a swift like impact uh beyond B. 
Bijan Robinson. The guy that jumps out to me the most is Eric Gray from Oklahoma. He is a guy that's probably on the fringe of being like a third, fourth, fifth rounder. Um, he is, he moves just like Swift, right? So he's a guy who was going to be like the most Swift like, and that you could probably get on day three, or I think could fall to day three. Uh, if you're willing to spend day two, then uh, Jamar Gibbs, uh, Devin A-Chain, those two guys would have Swift-like impacts that you're probably taking, but you'd have to probably pay day two money to get those guys. Um, so Gibbs, A-Chain, Gray, those are the guys that I like as, as Swift-like impact guys. Um, if you're willing, if you're, if you're talking about deep sleepers, Guys that are undersized, we'll go to the one of the guys Joe loves, and that's Deuce Vaughn. Uh, you're probably taking him in the late rounds uh, because of his size, but he has that home run type speeds. But again, I don't think he would. I don't think he necessarily would have a the down to down impact that Swift had, where I think like guys like Gibbs, A Chain, and uh, and Gray could give you. Scotty Swifter asks Eric Devin Witherspoon gaining a lot of traction for Lions fans over the past couple of weeks. Can you explain to the fans why he's a better option for them to draft at six rather than trading for a top guy like Ramsey or the Saints corner? Forget his name. Oh, what uh, he's who's he talking about? The uh, I had it in my head just a second ago. Lattimore? And then, uh, yeah, Marcus Lattimore. Marcus Lattimore. Um, yeah. Um, Again, I we, we kind of outlined it earlier. Like uh, trading, there's a lot. I don't like the cost uh, uh, that would be involved in trading for a guy. You're getting a guy that's older. Yeah, um, you're getting a guy that's older. You're getting you're paying him more money, and you're giving up capital. Um, so a guy like Witherspoon for me, or even Gonzalez. I mean, Gonzalez, I think, and Witherspoon are both in that conversation where i think they could both be considered in the the final lines in the first round um you know the the if if you're going to take one of those two guys one you're getting a guy that's much younger you're getting them on a rookie deal and so those are huge benefits right off the bat there's a gamble because they're not as proven as the guy that you're trading for but if you're taking them in the first round you're pretty much expecting them to to hit um so far the lions have been in pretty good at identifying which players uh are going to hit where so you you if they end up with one of those guys you're, you're you're trusting that that happens again now for me uh i like witherspoon because he does everything that they want their corners to do uh in this scheme and he has the culture fit that goes beyond the scheme as well so that's why i like witherspoon he's a big hitter he is undersized but he he's comfortable in press um you know, there's there's flaws to his game like any player, but I think there are things that can be cleaned up. And uh, in my opinion, he can have like a day one rookie starter type impact uh, on this Lions roster. Brian Ives asks, what's your realistic dream picks for six and 18? Uh, so, it, you know, obviously it's going to depend on what happens in free agency, right? Uh, but if they don't, let's say they address defensive tackle in free agency. Well, then 
taking a guy like Witherspoon at six and then going and getting a guy like Brian Branch to play that nickel corner third safety type role, that'd be ideal for me, man. I don't care. A double dip in that secondary uh, because those two players are both day one starters for me. I think Branch can have like a Minka Fitzpatrick type impact. Uh, He's going to slide a little because he plays off the ball like – Minka went late. Kyle Hamilton went a little bit later. He's going to be in that 15 to, to 18, 15 to 20 or 14 to 20 range. Probably. Um, that's probably where he's going to fall. In my opinion, if he's there at 18, you could take him and, and you've locked down your nickel spot uh, for the next five years. Um, if they take a corner at, at in the in, in in free agency well then that's going to change who i want at six right then i'm going to want somebody different at six i'm going to want like a jalen carter to fall for some reason or something like that right or if they if they add chauncey gardner in free agency then i'm probably going to want witherspoon and then maybe Bijan at 18 right like who knows like that could be in that scenario so a lot of it's going to hinge on what they do in free agency for me to kind of like say what's the best case scenario at six and 18, but there's a lot of options. And that, and that's the great thing. There a lot. Of, they should be able to walk out with two impact players. Nick miracle and Derek asked similar questions. If you had to rank the off season position needs, what would they be? Which would prefer to address in the draft and which would be better with a free agent acquisition, a veteran free agent acquisition. Yeah, there's three, the top, three needs for me is you need an outside corner, a nickel corner and a defensive tackle. And I don't think you can draft all three. I don't think you can sign three in free agency. So you have to use some sort of combination of the two. Um, Dean again, like if they, if they spent on Dean as an outside corner, I would understand it. If they spent at Gardner Johnson as a nickel, I'd understand it. If they added a tackle, like, Tomlinson, Hargrave, Payne, I would, again, I would understand it. So there's scenarios for each guy, but I think those three main defensive needs, those are your top three priorities. I expect them to pay for one of those positions. I expect them to draft two of those positions in the top, the other two in the top 100, right? So those, that right there, those are your top three. When you go beyond those three, now you're looking at, um, a whole collection of different picks. Again, you don't know exactly which ones are going to be higher priorities, depending on, on how free agency goes. You're probably going to need a running back of the future. You, you're probably going to need a right guard of the future. You might even need a tight end of the future, but those are all future type players on offense, right? You know, right now you don't need a starter at any of those three positions, but you could get one for now in the future in the draft. So those those go a little bit lower in the, in the needs category. You're probably okay at safety linebacker right now is currently a bigger need because there's no one in that starting role. So that's probably need four, right? Um, So, but I don't know. I I don't think, I I mean, so you have to kind of look at like, do you have someone in place? Do you not, what are they going to do in free agency? So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to really identify what they're going to do. But my guess is, I guess the, I got off track with the, from the question, but my guess is that they're going to spend on at least one player in free agency at one of those top three positions. The other two get addressed in the top 100, and then you get some of those 
other future idea, future positions like running back, like guard, those other positions end up coming off the board in, in the top 20 as well. Maybe you throw a linebacker in there and then that's your top kind of like five draft picks with one big free agency signing. So you don't put right guard up there. That's a big need. Well, just because I don't know what's going to happen. Um, if you've so an interesting little tidbit, if you you're always trying to read behind be, between the lines, right? And um, the one thing that Ben Johnson has said in his interviews multiple times is, "Well, we're bringing all five of our starting off all five of our starting offensive line is returning next year." Well, to me, uh, that means they're expecting Vitae to be in that mix, right? Because Evan Brown's a free agent, so he wouldn't say mm-hmm. that if he wasn't expecting Vitae back. And so, if he's saying multiple times that he's expecting the starting all starting five to be back because they're all under contract, then that tells me they're not, they're not, they might not be so quick to move on from Vitae as quick as fans are. Um, I could, I still think he's a big question mark, but at this time he's still signed. So um, what I, I, now again, even if he's still here, I don't think that precludes them from still taking a guard in the top 100, one of their five top 100 picks. I could absolutely see them take a guard in the second or third round, right? Uh, because you don't know what Vitae's situation is going to be beyond this year. He always coming off an injury. Like there's a lot of factors that go into it, but I don't know. Uh, if you read the tea leaves in Ben Johnson, uh, he's he's left some question marks about what happens with Vitae. And so until they make a move on Vitae, right guard's going to be a little bit lower on the priority for me. I still think it's a need for the future, so I still expect it to be addressed in the draft. Finally, question from Jason Krulik. Who are your guys in the draft? Yeah, it's early for this, uh, Jason, so it's hard for me to, like, really, like, nail some guys down, right? Uh, I don't know if I – I don't necessarily have a quarterback that I like. Um, You know, I've fallen – in love or i've you know fallen in love with enough with Bijan that i've that i've justified so as everyone else though and, and, well yeah right it's i'm not unique uh not reach in there but i understand the ideology if they wanted to take him at 18 i'm more i'm more receptive to that than i think i was uh maybe even a week ago i do think there are other really good running backs one of the guys that i like is like kenny mcintosh from georgia probably a guy you might get in day three. He's a superior run blocker. He's a superior pass catcher. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that you can do with him and he could be a RB three this year, step up into a rotational RB two role next year. uh, If Swift departs. Uh, So McIntosh is a guy that's kind of like a sleeper for me. Uh, I always butcher this guy's name. The running, are you familiar with the running back from Pittsburgh? Israel Abacandia. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, I am not familiar with him. It's it's like a five syllable last name. He's a he's he's kind of my sleeper. Uh it's 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 Aban Incandia or something like that. It's like when they pronounce it, it takes like 30 seconds for them to say it when he does a run. Well, you'll have um, to keep your ears open and nail it down. But, but he is uh I, I literally just watched it watched right. him yesterday yeah, right. and I and it's already slipped because I haven't repeated it in my head too many times. But he's a guy again, I he's he's kind of like my sleeper running back right now. Um I don't think I've fallen in love with a receiver necessarily. Um 
I think you could get, I could give some hype to uh, Jade Reed out of Michigan State. I think his stock is rising very rapidly. Uh, do you think Jade, do you think uh, Reed could go into third round? I think he could. Well, I, anything's possible, but I, I'm surprised that his, his stock is getting buoyed so much. He had a good senior bowl. That's, yeah, that's, a, well, I, that's I, I follow, that, yeah. that helps. Um, you know, and then whenever you have a guy who's like done really well and then has a down year and then he declares uh, like Keishon Bouillette, um, his stock is way down. I think he's a guy that you want to keep an eye on. Um I don't know if I necessarily call him my guy, but he's a guy that I liked before and his stock has plummeted. Um, if we're talking offensive tackles, the guy I like best at offensive tackle is a guy I don't think the Lions are going to pay the price for, and that's Darnell Wright, the Tennessee right guard. I like him a ton. Um, I just don't think they would if, – if he fell to 55, maybe they'd take him. Uh, because the value is there, but I just don't know if they pay the price for, for him, but Darnell, Wright, He's a, he's a really good right guard or right tackle. 347 um, pounds. Yeah. It's massive. Um, the guard that I like is Steve Avila from TCU. Um, you could take him at 55 and I'd be okay with that. Right. Um, he's going to be in that top five range for me. He's got center guard flexibility. He's played all five positions in college. And so uh, there's a lot of range to his game. He's 6'4", 340. And uh, bigger the better. He's probably the guy that I want the most in round two right now, Avila from uh, TCU. Uh, At tackle, defensive tackle, boy – I don't know. I'd be, I mean, Carter's of course the obvious one. Uh, I'm really a big fan of Mozzie Smith, but that's my, I don't want to be called a homer for that, but, um, but Mozzie, I think is a really good guy that would fit a lot of what they, what the lions need. Um, Let's see. I don't know if I have an edge guy that really like is standing out as like a sleeper or like one of my guys. Um, my my linebacker that I like the most is Demarion Obershone from Texas. Uh, he's just flies around the field. Uh, six three and a half, two twenty five. Former safety. Uh, Overshone is uh, he'd be a lot of fun. Uh, Devin Witherspoon is my corner. I've been in, I've been on that train for a while. And then Brian Branch is my is my safety. Uh, if they don't end up with Branch, I like Christopher Smith. Uh, from Georgia, and then my third safety is uh, Quan Martin from Illinois. All three of those guys are hybrid nickel slash safeties, guys that I think would be terrific uh, fits for for the Lions. Uh, and so that's it. Those those are kind of like my early guys right now, and uh, it's evolving. But those are the guys I'd say that I've I've liked a lot of what their game is and I think there's good value for where they're projected to go and I could see them the lines going after them all right we've made it through the mailbag well technically we haven't more questions poured in after we close yeah. the bag but you know, yeah maybe we can hopefully get to those some other time 
Um, anything else to add for this week, Eric? Not 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 a big Lions week. Not a lot of Lions info this week. No. Did you want to chat Super Bowl for a second? Or are you? Uh, sure. Yeah, we you, can. Okay. Would you? Uh, I I I I hate when there's controversy at the end of any big game. And so I was disappointed that it was such a thoroughly good game to come, you know, to have a, a moment at the end, uh, the decision from the refs, it's, it kind of spoiled the game for me a little bit. Um, you know, like NFL network's been showing a lot of Super Bowl games and I was watching, um, Pittsburgh versus Arizona from mm-hmm. a couple of years back yep. where Roethlisberger throws the, the corner shot to San Antonio Holmes, who makes like this 45 degree angle catch with tiptoes back in the end zone. And they win the game right. on that, on that play. And that I'm like, that was such a great way to end that game. Uh, to have this year's game with that. It had so much potential. And now the only call. Yeah. And that's all, that's all I can think about right now is like, Oh, that game could have been it could have been an exciting finish and if they wouldn't have called that holding it would have been a much better game in my opinion i get that it was maybe a hold that it was a hold he said it was a hold that we've we've seen many a times that not be called a penalty exactly that that hold happens all the time and it gets called half the time and to call that at that juncture knowing that with two minutes left in the game and knowing they can take all but like five seconds off the clock I don't like that the decision coming down to the uh, the biggest game of the year coming down to a decision like that. Like you you should have let that go. Yeah, well, I would agree, and that would have it could have set up even more drama because that would have made it what fourth and eight for the right. Chiefs when they invariably they have gone for it. I can't remember now. They would have th- gone for it. Yeah, and yeah, maybe or they would have kicked. Mike, no, they, they would have kicked, kicked and gave. Yeah, yeah, excuse me. They would have kicked and gave Philadelphia time. So yeah, that'd be interesting. Surely it would have made for a more interesting ending. Because then yeah. Philadelphia could have came back. We could have seen what they were made of, and they would have had right. a few seconds to, you know, oh, you need you only need a handful of seconds, even with Hertz. You know, he's not right. Holmes, but he's pretty good. So yeah, I don't know. It was a great Super Bowl. You know, it, even even with that happening, it's probably one of the better ones of our lifetime. A back and forth affair. Yeah, Philly kinds of kind of blows it in the whole second half, where a lot of people make that point. It's like, well game was kind of lost on that penalty but philly yeah. was blowing it in that whole second half sure 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 i'm not saying the game just decided on that but that game took the drama out of the ending right. and i yeah i wanted to drain it all yeah. the way down yeah. yeah that that drama was i wanted that drama because it was a dramatic game it was a good game good drama did you, yes. did you watch did you watch halftime i did not. Well, of course no I, I watched every minute of it i gave <laughs> i gave my i gave uh I gave two of my children um, a bath as quickly as I possibly could while so Rihanna was yeah. while Rihanna was singing, so that I could uh, have them prepared for school without being stinky. Uh, it was as just I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do this real fast and get out of the way, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to miss any of the game. So, um, so yeah, I I did not watch any of the Rihanna stuff performance um, was fine but obviously it was more about building the drama of is she pregnant or is she not pregnant you know that that, that oh. <laughs> drove all that more than the performance and i get it you know like they a lot of people probably thought about that beforehand it's like let's well, don't talk about being pregnant this will be like the big reveal <laughs> and everybody be trying to ask and figure it out and then we'll kind of announce it later so 
Did uh, what'd you think of the Super Bowl commercial, the NFL's commercial with the flag football where Hutchinson with Hutchinson comes yeah. in for two seconds? Yeah, it's a good commercial, but I, I, I went to look for uh, I want to see some of this flag football, and you know, sure, I couldn't find anything, but it, like I didn't really try really hard, <laughs> right? It's like, well, let's so they have this, they, they have some sort of national competition where these, these you know, there's flag football and there's there's national teams and you know the mexico mm. team won you know they must have beaten the u.s team along the way somewhere and is this any good is this an interesting thing to watch you know i i thought it was a good commercial did you did you happen to uh hear the news over the weekend that um hutchinson had a stunt double for the uh when they broke the door down no, they I saw didn't that. want yeah so they don't want the players just, injuring themselves did you hear who the stunt double was? No, I didn't see that. Joe Fourier was the <laughs> uh, was Aiden Hutchinson's stunt double. Oh, so he's still hanging around. Yep, he's apparently a stunt double now. So, <laughs> well, because he isn't he he's he's a close friend of Stafford, right? So, did he follow him out there to Los Angeles, or was he I have already no there? No idea. I thought he I have, was close to Stafford. I, he might be. I think him and Sam Martin were buddies. And I know Sam Martin and, and Stafford were close. And so maybe they had that connection. Um, I don't know, but I thought it was funny that uh Fortier was the stunt double for uh, for Hutchinson in that in that scene. Well, so really all this yeah, Hutchinson yeah, well, should be encased in bubble wrap the whole offseason. Yeah. Well, I didn't you know, to be to be clear, it wasn't just uh Hutchinson, though. Apparently a bunch of the players had it, including um including uh Hayward. Hayward. Yep. who was next to him uh he had a stunt double as well so um i thought that was an interesting tie back to uh to lion's history there all right that's it we had a we got a couple of boost in ratings over in uh itunes or, or apple podcasts and that's great it was kind of a, it was a five star and there was a, a little bit of a negative comment on me but i'll take it you got the five <laughs> star you know so from w car 69 uh, hey, thanks for the rating, you know, and I, I will work on improving my uh, my negativity and try to make it more positivity. But you don't want us being both super positive. Then this 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 podcast will just be too sugary and sweet. You don't want that. We have, little, <laughs> you have to have a little bit of an edge every now and again. <laughs> um, yeah, look, uh, I we have a, I, I don't know if we talked about the other reviews. We had a couple more as well. But yeah, like, we it, did. We, no, we, we didn't talk some, about them. Yeah, that's what I was thinking was that we didn't talk about some of the other ones. Um, man, like I, I know, like I, I believe Max Air RT has has upgrade updated his post a couple of times. Um, Danis uh, seventeen upgraded updated his post as well. So I, we're seeing more of that recently, and, and those those off those help a lot too because it shows um, you know any new listeners that like happen to click on it they'll see that people care enough about the podcast to not just post once, but to update their post. And, and, and that's, that's awesome. And uh, we appreciate that. So thanks to everyone else who, who chimed in. Um, don't I think, forget I don't, KC Cole 27. That's what I was going to say. I don't had a review in that same period. So thank, thank you to KC Cole as well. Perfect. Uh, and I think we had, I think we got the rest. I need to start checking. Like I know like Spotify is going Spotify up. boosted to 171. So thanks everybody for that. That's yeah. great. I feel like that was just at 150, like a, like a yeah, couple that weeks one's ago. that it one's like, moving pretty quick. Well, when well, you know, when iTunes stopped working, uh, I think that's when Spotify got some uh, got some love. So um, I'm glad to see that go up a little bit, and we appreciate everybody 
Uh, Patreon has has seen a big uptick since the board came out. Uh, I am updating it again. I, ideally, I would like to get it in people's an updated version in people's hands before the combine, so that you can see a couple of tweaks that I've done to it to the board. So uh, look for that an updated board in the next couple of weeks. And um, yeah, that's it. Nice to talk to you again, buddy. We'll get another podcast in before the combine. We'll preview the podcast or preview the combine in our next episode. And uh, then it'll be time to go. Time to go for, for the big deal. All right. That's great news. So that's it for us. So until uh, next time, let's go Lions.